Well, please join me now in John chapter 16. We're re-entering the upper room with Jesus on the night he was arrested. The next morning, he's going to be crucified. And today, we're going to take on a message we're calling Peace in a Troubled World. Years ago, Joy taught second grade for Memphis City Schools. And in her school, uh, it was a very challenging context. There was in a very poor neighborhood there in Memphis. And Joy loved her students, and her students loved her. One of the most touching moments for her teaching there for two years, teaching second grade there, was the day one of her students was hiding in her class that final day before Christmas break. When she found the student, a young boy, she said, why are you hiding? He said, I don't want to go home. I want to go home with you. On another occasion, a girl just straight up said to her, I want you to adopt me. So they were finding love and peace in this classroom that apparently they weren't finding at home and they wanted to make a, a transfer into our home. But do you ever feel that way in this troubled world where you just want to say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to go home with you. I just want to be with you. I don't want this here anymore. Listen, that longing is entirely understandable in the light of all the dysfunction and pain and division that we see that feels like it's increasing, but it's an also, it's an entirely biblical longing as well. The scripture teaches us that we're the beloved children of God, those of us who know Jesus, but we are elect exiles, the Bible says, on the earth. This isn't home and it shouldn't feel like home to us. Our true home is heaven and we long to be there where we're going to have joy forever. But in this upper room discourse, this farewell discourse of Jesus with his disciples, he has given us ample reasons for joy and peace and confidence even now. Even as we await all that imperfection, even now so much that the Lord is making available to us. And the focal verse for today is this one, John 16, 33. Where Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's our focal verse. I want you to hear it again. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now I want you to see it in its context. Let's read now, picking up in verse 25. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and came into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Here we come to the conclusion of chapter 16, and Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to have trouble. He tells them they're going to be scattered in just a matter of hours. They're going to have tribulation. 
But it's interesting, in this context of trouble that he's been talking about, he says this, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now, how does that work? Jesus talking about trouble, and he says, and I'm telling you this, that you might have peace. Isn't peace only possible when you have no problems? Isn't peace only possible on vacation? And then you come back to Richmond and say, well, there's no peace here. It's only on vacation where I have that. Isn't peace only possible when everybody likes you and everybody's pleased with what you're doing? But Jesus here tells us clearly that he can give a peace that holds even in the terrible times of trouble in this life. And notice this peace is connected to his word. This peace is connected to what he's been communicating. Hear it again. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now, what are these things that he's been saying? Well, it's in this immediate context, the thing he's been saying, these things in these immediate verses, but also we could pan back to the entirety of this upper room discourse. So did you know that God's word is designed to give you peace? In fact, this morning, I thought, let me just, before I go, let me just do a search on that word peace in the New Testament. How many times is it used and how is it used? And so I found 96 occurrences of that word peace in the New Testament, in 88 verses, 96 occurrences of that word. And I just read through them quickly this morning. And I would say to you, yeah, a theme of the Bible is peace. Now, granted, when you and I open up the Bible, sometimes we're troubled by what we read because we're confronted with our own sinfulness, aren't we? And we think, that's, that's troubling. And the Bible's confronting me, but that's always redemptive in the Bible. The design of God is that you would see yourself in all of your sinfulness, that you might turn to him and come to him, that you might experience freedom from sin, that you can go from bondage to freedom. You can go from darkness to light. You can go from death to life. You can go from dysfunction to peace. It's what God is up to in your life. So Jesus is telling them, listen, I'm speaking to you and the aim has been peace, even in the upcoming trials that you're going to face. In fact, this week I went back and listened to the Upper Room Discourse, chapters 13 through 16. Of course, chapter 17 will take on starting next week. But I went back and listened. By the way, you can do that with the Bible app. You can just push play and just listen to the words of Jesus and all of it in its context. And if you remember with me, as we've walked through these chapters, so many wonderful things Jesus has told us. It all started with him washing the disciples' feet. Do you remember that from weeks ago? And he told, his, he told his disciples, you need to serve each other like that. He told them that you've already been clean because of what I've done for you. Jesus told us in this upper room discourse, there's nobody comes to the father, but through me, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Remember that Jesus taught them to abide in him. They can be like fruitful branches attached to a vine. But in all that good teaching and all these positive things, as we see it, Jesus also told them some negative things along the way. Remember, he told them about Judas's betrayal before Judas left this upper room to go betray Christ. Told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in this very next morning. John 15, yes, vine and branches, but also said in John 15, you know, the world is going to hate you because of me. And he's been telling them here in chapter 16, there's going to be sorrow for you. Going to be anguish. Yes, joy's coming, but first sorrow, anguish. You're going to be scattered. Here he says, you're going to experience tribulation. So how can that be helpful? How can that in any way be linked to peace? So let's talk together about how you and I can have peace in a troubled world. First principle, there is peace in knowing who is in control. There's peace in knowing who is in control. So there's peace in the knowledge of God's sovereignty. 
Remember back in John 14, 29, Jesus said this, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. So Jesus tells them good things are coming, bad things are coming, and all that was to strengthen their faith. So when the trials came, when the anguish came, they would know, well, he told us this ahead of time. This is not the plan of God failing. This is the plan of God going just like Jesus said. So their faith wouldn't fail in the times of trial. Their faith would actually be bolstered. Yeah, he said anguish was coming. He said they, we would all be scattered. They would be able to see this is exactly the plan going just like he said. In fact, we see throughout the New Testament, Jesus always is in a position of being in control. When he encountered his enemies, the Pharisees, Jesus still standing in authority. When Jesus confronted the demonic, he was not afraid of them. The demons were afraid of him. He's, he's standing in authority. He's in charge in every encounter. There's peace in knowing that. And there's peace in knowing that Jesus has that same authority in every occasion, every situation in your life as well. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus is sovereign? God is sovereign over all the details of your life. The opposite of that truth would be unnerving, wouldn't it? If you just believe, well, I know he loves me, but he can't control things. I know he's nice, but I know that, you know, some things just happen to me randomly that he can't really stop or control. I'm just kind of at the whim of, of nature and life. That would be unnerving. Now, understandable, this is a huge topic of God's sovereignty, his providence. And how does he allow certain things to fit into his plan? We might scratch our heads at some of that. But nevertheless, it is reassuring. It gives us peace to know that God is in control of all things. Millard Erickson defines providence as this, God's activity in guiding and directing the course of events to fulfill the purposes which he has in mind. So think of that. God is in full control and his plan is moving forward. Again, vast topic. We go through pains and evils of this life. I, mean, I, I don't know. I can't understand how God would allow that in. It just doesn't compute for me how that's part of it. But we can step back and say, I don't understand, but I know God has a plan. I know God is sovereign and he's in control. He has a plan. And his plan cannot be thwarted. God's plans cannot be frustrated by anybody. So even in the troubles, the troubles are not outside of the providence of God. Those troubles are inside the providence of God. Again, it's very reassuring, John 14, 29, and now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. And that biblical truth has given me great peace in this life. Do you know that truth? That nothing can touch you except what God directs or permits into your life. That means storms, I mean literal storms, accidents, sicknesses, promotions, demotions, to, to think through God really has sovereign control over all those things and how they might impact me. You say, does God really have that type of sovereign control? Does the Bible really teach that? Oh, it does from cover to cover. How about Job as an example? Remember the story of Job? He was, he was allowed to suffer, but Satan couldn't touch him unless God allowed it for that unique test in the life of Job for our benefit, all the believers throughout all the centuries. We've benefited from that, but we, we certainly get the teaching that Job not only suffered, but, but God had to allow it. It didn't just happen to him. And Job didn't understand it as it was happening. He's living it in real time. We get to read it knowing the whole story. Job's friends didn't understand it. They're giving terrible advice to Job. His wife giving terrible advice to him. 
So Job's asking questions, you know, what sin have you found in me? Why are you doing this to me? And he questions God. Then God answers extensively in the later chapters of the book of Job. But then Job answers back after God clarifies things. And this is Job 42 two. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job had to humble himself. I, I didn't get it. I still don't understand all that, but I know you're sovereign and I'm trusting in you and you're good. And I was wrong to question you the way I did. Again, some people don't like that idea of God being in sovereign control. They're like, well, I like to think he's nice and he wouldn't let this happen. But this is happening, and it's better to know the truth of the Bible, that God has allowed it for, for his purposes. So even when we don't understand the why of certain things, we can rest in knowing that God is at work, and he will accomplish his good through it. We just need to keep trusting like Job learned to do. So we see God's sovereign hand throughout the scriptures. We see it in creation. We see it in the flood. We see it in the prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ. We see it in the cross and resurrection. Even God's sovereignty, when he can tell you, this is how it's all going to culminate. Nobody can thwart his plan. He tells you Christ is coming. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. This is how it's going because I'm in sovereign control of all of history. But it's not just that. It's, it's even in the day-to-day, -day, in the realm of politics, in the realm of the economy, and the details of our lives. It's very reassuring that God is sovereign over those. Daniel 2.21, listen to this. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Or 1 Samuel 2, 6. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. Or Psalm 31, 14. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Millard Erickson, again, speaking of this, he says, no harm can come to a believer contrary to the will of God. Again, this has been so helpful in my life as troubles come. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I don't like trouble. I don't like trouble. I don't like pain. don't like difficulty. I pray that God will take it from me, keep me from it, right? I'm like you, I want every day to be a perfect day until I one day go to perfect heaven. But when trouble has come and had plenty, just like you've had plenty, I'm never shocked. Like, how could he let this happen to me? Because in the scriptures I see, just like here, you're going to have tribulation. Heaven's where perfection is, so never shocked. Now, sad, yes, but not shocked. Disappointed when things happen that I don't want. But, but not, not surprised ultimately, but also knowing, but God, you, you've allowed this into my life. You've allowed this difficulty, whether persecution or illness or some other thing. And so I, I will just trust you. So there's peace in knowing who is in control. A beautiful expression of that is Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So how can we have peace in this troubled world Oh, there's peace in knowing who is in control. But secondly, there's peace in knowing who wins in the end. There's peace in knowing who wins in the end. That takes us back to verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Here it is. I have overcome the world. 
And it's interesting timing that Jesus would say that just hours before he's arrested, just hours before he's hanging on a cross, that he would speak in terms of it's finished, it's done. I've overcome the world. How so? Well, we can say this. He already had overcome all the temptations of the world. Everything that Satan brought to him never sinned once he overcame the world. He certainly had overcome every attack that people brought to him, all his adversaries. And even now only would he say, my hour has come. Now I'm going to give myself over to these that I might be crucified. The, the very reason for which I came. So Jesus can speak about ultimate victory from start to finish. I have overcome the world. You do know that with God's omnipotence and God's omniscience and his sovereignty, there was never a doubt that Jesus would be successful when he left heaven on this mission to rescue us. It wasn't like in heaven thing, man, I hope this works. I, I don't know. A lot of, a lot of tough people down there. No, it's absolutely assured victory. Never a question of overcome the world. And again, we know the end of the story and he will overcome the world in very visible ways. Everyone will know every knee will bow in submission. Every tongue will confess in submission. Everybody will be agreeing eventually. Oh, he's Lord. He has overcome the world and we're seeing it unfold. So as we follow Jesus, we should operate in that same confidence. We know the victorious risen savior. We know the power of the indwelling spirit. Jesus has been talking about it in this upper room discourse. We know the one who is ultimately coming in great power and authority to set up his throne on the earth. And we should walk in that confidence. It's the confidence that you can have when you rewatch an intense movie. Now, I told the other two services, I have what I would call movie amnesia. That when we watch movies as a family, many times I do not remember how this movie ends. And it can baffle my family. Like, how, how do you not remember this? You know, we just watched it last year or a couple of years ago. Now, some movies I do remember it made such an impact on me, but there are plenty of times where like, I don't, I don't remember this. Uh, but, but the ones that I do remember, they're still fun to watch again, especially an intense movie because I know how it's going to end. So I can go through the twists and turns of it and all the uncertainty and still enjoy the ride. But I can deep down relax because I, I know I know how this is going to work out. This is just fine. And you and I understand that. So so we don't want to spoil it for other people. We're talking about spoiler alert. Don't, don't let me tell you. Can I tell you that the Bible is a spoiler? He wants you to know the end as you live the life. He wants you to know. It's, it's not like a spoiler alert. Like don't pay attention to this. He's telling you, like, read the book of Revelation. It's, it's going to be awesome. Judgment is coming, so no evildoer is going to get away with her evil. All, all this injustice, all the persecution, all the martyrdom is not being uh, overlooked. Judgment is coming, and Jesus will reign, and he will reward his saints. There'll be resurrection, new heaven, new earth. It's going to be amazing. That's the spoiler. And you and I live in light of that knowledge. So how can we have peace in a troubled world? I know who's in ultimate control, and I know who has the ultimate victory. It's Christ, and you and I can live with assurance like that. This is why Paul was able to say this in Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he just continued in Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
we be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That same confidence shows up in 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul's talking about the resurrection from the dead, Christ's resurrection, our future resurrection. He said this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen how you live in light of that. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you hear that? Peace. We can have peace in this life. We can have confidence in this life because Jesus has overcome the world. In fact, that's what he says here. Take heart. Be confident. Take courage. Christ has overcome the world. You know him and you're in on that ultimate victory. So how do I have peace in a troubled world? By knowing who is in control, knowing who has the ultimate victory. And then this, you can have peace in a troubled world because there's peace in the presence of God in prayer. There's peace in the presence of God in prayer. So in this farewell discourse in the upper room, Jesus has repeatedly brought up to his disciples and to us, you need to pray. It's this great invitation to pray. Let me give you those examples. In John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Then in the very next chapter, John 15, 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Continuing in chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and there your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Then chapter 16, we saw this last time, verses 23 and following. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And then today in our passage, verse 26, in that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the father on your behalf for the father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. Because Jesus keeps repeating this, we come back and it gives us another opportunity to think about this amazing privilege, this amazing invitation that we can go into the presence of God and make our requests to him. But it's more than an invitation. It's an expectation, isn't it? He's telling his disciples, you're, you're going to need this. You're going to suffer. You're going to have anguish. There's going to be lots of joy on the other side of this resurrection but you're going to have a lot of occasions where you're going to need me and you're going to need the father's help and you can be confident. You can talk to him and he's going to help you. This is vital, not just merely an invitation, but notice how Jesus describes prayer here. He says, you're going to ask the father in my name. What's that mean to pray in Jesus name? On the one hand, it's a statement of humility. And on the other hand, it's a statement of confidence. It's a statement of humility because we think about why would I pray in Jesus' name? Because I have no right to come into the presence of God in my own name. Based on my life, I can't just go into the presence of God. So how can I go? So it's a reminder to myself every time I'm coming in the presence of God, Lord, I'm coming to you in Jesus' name. The one who's given me access into your presence. I was a sinner, hopelessly cut off from you, but Jesus has saved me. And so I'm coming into your presence clean because of Jesus righteous because of the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to me. This is all because of him. So I'm coming into your presence. It's a statement of humility, but it's a statement of confidence. Jesus told me to come in, in his name to you. And I know you'll never turn me away because I'm coming in the name 
of Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. It's not a magic phrase. If I just throw that in, God's bound to do whatever. But no, it's, it's a statement of this is my access. So we pray in Jesus' name. So through the years, I've been invited to pray in a lot of places publicly. Not so much lately. We can try to figure that out maybe. But, uh, but over the years, I've prayed for the state senate here. I got invited to do the invocation. Um, school board meetings, board of supervisors meetings, groundbreakings for things like the library, the high school over here. And uh, sometimes when they would invite me to do a prayer somewhere, they'd say things like, listen, uh, we want it to be a non-denominational prayer. I don't even know what a denominational prayer is. So I would write back, not in a snarky tone. I'd, I'd write back, hey, I'd be honored to do this. I'm not sure what you mean by a non-denominational prayer. Because my mind, I'm thinking, I don't pray Baptist prayers. I pray like a Christian, you know. But I usually tell them, because I think I know what they're getting at. I'll say, but I, but I will pray in Jesus' name. And most of the times, they would say, you know, kind of like, okay. You know, but, I, but I think they needed to go on record saying, we told the guy not to do this. We told him not to. But, but there he goes, that rogue Baptist pastor, he... He's going to do it. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just odd like that. One time I was asked to do an opening ceremony, the invocation for the opening of a supermarket. And so they said, hey, we would love for you, a pastor in the area, would you do the invocation at the grand opening of our supermarket? And I said, I'd be honored to do it. But knowing, let me just take the pressure off them. I said, just be happy to do it. Just let you know that I will pray in Jesus' name. Is that okay? And uh, then they disinvited me. Is that a word? Anyway, they took away the invitation and uh, they're like, hey, well, thank you for telling us that. Let me run it by corporate. Then they came back and said, yeah, we're, we're going to look in another direction. But a couple weeks later, they were very apologetic. Look, sorry. No, actually, upon, upon further reflection, that's just fine. You come and do that. It's always weird to pray in those settings, though, because I'm used to praying in here with us where I can say, Lord, we love you. We need you. When you're praying in these places, I don't know that they even want me to pray. It's just kind of a formality here. But the point is, I'm not going to not pray in Jesus name. This doesn't mean that every time you pray, because we're supposed to be praying without ceasing in this ongoing conversation with the Lord when you're driving. It's not like every time I got to tack on the phrase, but it's always that awareness. I have access to the Father through Jesus. And I'm certainly not going to take it out on purpose. I mean, he's, he's our access. In fact, I would tell the people I, when they'd ask me to pray publicly, I'm going to be praying to a specific God. I'm not just praying some nebulous thing. I'm praying to God in Jesus' name. So listen, we have confidence in coming in his name. Here's another reason for confidence. Verse 27. You have confidence in your praying because God loves you. Verse 27, for the father himself loves you because you've loved me and believe that I came from God. So it's a great privilege to the believer in Jesus Christ. But notice it's all for the believer in Jesus Christ. Everybody talks about prayer in the culture, but not everybody's getting through to God. It's those who come in Jesus name. Remember, Jesus says no one comes to the father, but through me. And certainly that's talking about salvation. You're not going to be in God's home unless you come through Jesus. But this is talking about prayer as well. Nobody can come into the presence of God, but through Jesus, the access that Jesus gives. And if you know Jesus, you can come in, yes, very humbly, but you come in very confidently. And there is peace there in the presence of God. If you, if you go into the presence of God and you pray biblically informed prayers, oh, there's perspective there. Meaning when you pull aside to be with the Lord, yes, you're going to pray without ceasing, pray all times in life. But when you pull aside daily, and I pray you do this, you open up the scriptures and God, I want to hear from you. And now I want to pray in response to what you showed me. You're going to find wonderful perspective from God, peace in this troubled world. You're going to be reminded, oh yes, having heard from you first, God, I see you really do have a plan. I see that, I see you really do love me. So let's imagine you're having your daily time in the Lord and you're reading through John 16 and you're reading, oh wow, the father loves me. 
And you're going to feel confident. Lord, thank you for that reminder that you love me. You're not just tolerating me, but you love me. Lord, you're with me. You're in me by your Holy Spirit. And then as you're praying and formed by the scripture, just your daily pattern of life. And there's a mission. I'm not just supposed to tread water and really hide away until you come again, but you put me on offense with this glorious gospel. I need to take this out to others. So there's great perspective in the presence of God. It gives you peace. His power is available. Jesus keeps telling you, this is effective. You'll ask him, he's going to help you. And throughout the, throughout the scripture, so much teaching on prayer. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, how to pray in what we call the Lord's prayer. Paul exhorts us to pray. He even tells us there's a connection between praying and peace. How about Philippians 4, 6? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then we have the example of Jesus, how he prayed. And have you ever considered if Jesus, God in the flesh, if he spent his time prioritizing prayer to the Father, how much more do I need to be praying to the Father? This has to be a priority in my life. So much he's making available here. So here's the question. Are you enjoying the spiritual privileges that are yours through Jesus Christ? These things that God says will bring you peace. Are you abiding in Jesus like he talked about here in chapter 15? Are you walking in the spirit like he talked about? The spirit is going to help you. Are you walking in him? You do realize the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, and peace. Peace that he'll bring on the inside of you. Are you walking in the spirit? Are you living a life of prayer? In a talk on prayer, John Piper said this. He said, it's simply staggering that God would ordain that the ruler of the universe would ordain that prayers cause things. They do. That prayer causes things to happen that would not happen if you didn't pray. He goes on to say this. When James 4, 2 says you do not have because you do not ask, that does not mean that you, you would have anyway, even if you don't ask because God has a plan. The verse does not mean the opposite of what it says. It says you have not because you ask not. That means prayer causes things to happen that wouldn't happen if you didn't pray. This is why this is such a staggeringly glorious privilege to be taken by the sovereign God of the universe who works all things according to his infinite wisdom and to fold it into his causality. Piper continues, this is breathtaking. If you do not avail yourself of the privilege of bringing to pass events in the universe that would not take place if you didn't pray, you're acting like a colossal fool, aren't you? Then he concludes this way. If you are offered the privilege of engaging with God in such a way that your requests could bring into being things that would not otherwise come into being, not to avail yourself of that privilege is folly of the highest or lowest order. The old hymn simply says it this way. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer.